Doing it live on a Tuesday, Bill Bishop, Johnny Ginter. This is the Dubcast, presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. It's been a while since I've been on this fine program, my friend. Last couple of weeks off, uh, you guys have done a fine job in my absence, as as is expected. But uh, we have ourselves some news on, yeah. a, on, a, on an April Tuesday, and it's got nothing to do with the fact that winter has stuck around like that drunken house guest that keeps going for more <laughs> bottles of Coors Light and will not leave. Um, so we have spring game this week, which is fun. We've got yeah. a uh, we've got an urban motion through 2022. Um, we could probably have some fun with Michigan and their uh, their Amazon series, um, but but I think the biggest news is the is what happened today with Alonzo Gaffney, the 2019 6'9", power forward, small forward, whatever he is, wing player, great player from up here in the Cleveland area who plays at Garfield Heights, committed to Chris Holtman, and. I'll be. I'm going to watch my hyperbole here because it, I, sometimes I can run amok with with it. But <laughs> I think it's as important as anything that Chris Holtman has done to this point as his coach at Ohio State. From from the standpoint of as impressive as it was to have the first year that he had, and it was awfully impressive. It was more important. It is this is more important for the program going forward because if he is to maintain and even take what Thad did to another level, which is hard for me to even imagine, it is imperative that players like Alonzo Gaffney go to Ohio State. Gaffney's yeah. the best player in the state of Ohio in 2019. He's star across the board. And more than that, he plays on a high school team in Garfield Heights that is loaded. Uh, hmm. There's a, there is a, I believe Brett Darby's son is on the team, is a year behind him, and then behind him is Michi, a kid up here who's dropped 50 in a game, and LeBron's watching him play this year. And so I'm wondering, Sonny's the coach of Garfield Heights, and I'm wondering, in my head, I'm wondering if this Holman pipeline with Garfield Heights can be similar to the Trestle pipeline with Glenville. And maybe this will be the recruiting area, and it's fertile, that Chris Holman can build the, build the Buckeye program to greatness upon. And so to me, this commitment, if this ends up with a signing and then Gaffney coming to Ohio State next year, is as big as at Ohio State. Well, first of all, glad to have you back. So here's my thing about this. That, this is why Chris Holtman was brought on to Ohio State, right? Like the recruiting, yeah. the energy with the program just wasn't there with Thadmon in the past several years for a lot of different reasons and in a lot of different ways. But getting big name recruits in the state of Ohio and locking down Ohio and competing with the likes of UNC and Florida and some of these other schools that were coming after him, Michigan State, to get a guy like Gaffney is a huge statement for Chris Holtman and the program in general. And he may not be amazing. I mean, he could turn out to be a butt. Amir Williams was a McDonald's All-American. might not right? be. Yeah. But that doesn't, for the immediate future right now, that's, for the next you know, right. six or 12 months, that doesn't matter. All that matters is that you have a no. statement from a staff that is now saying, we are going to lock Ohio down and we're going to go after these five-star guys because they're supposed to come to Ohio State. And that's not something you've seen with this Ohio State men's basketball program for the past couple of years. So that's a huge deal. I compare it to Urban because it feels like an Urban deal, like something Urban would do. It reminds me of when Urban had got Tate Martell and everybody just piggybacked on Tate Martell. Uh, or Urban, early in Urban's tenure, um, when he got Noah Spence. And then everybody just said, oh, well, let's go there. I mean, it really started to, to go. And that can have this effect with Holtman. Now, he's not out of the woods. He's going to have to, I think he has to have, this is a commitment. It's not signing on the line, which is dotted. He right. is going to have to have a good to ensure that this kid stays because he will be wanted by other people. But it has the potential, at least, as we head into AAU, the AAU circuit, 
at the very least, it has the potential um, to be the first of many. This could be very similar to the Thad Five in you know Thad's first full recruiting class at Ohio State that netted Connolly and Odin and Cook. It could be like that. There's the potential for that because these guys like to play together. And if Gaffney's a big enough personality, he maybe he can persuade. So it's an enormous get. And it's it sets it it lets you feel if you're a Buckeye fan that and Holtman knew this. I mean, he knew it. Uh, and he had a pretty good recruiting class in 2018, but he knew in order to to be better, equal to or better than Mata. And we remember the end of Mata, but we've I think we are way too quick to forget the peak of Mata when Ohio State was a national championship contender year in and, you know, for, I mean, how many years? Four or five years out of 10, they were yeah. not, they were a team that could win the national title. And and I think, you know, to be a national title contender at Ohio State 30, 40% of the time, I don't know if that's attainable, uh, but that is what Holtman will, attract, will aspire to and making sure he gets kids like Gaffney will only help in that pursuit. The other thing that I want to add about that is we were kind of ragging on Michigan a little bit last week and we were saying, oh man, I hope these guys lose. And, you know, it looks like they might be taken to the woodshed and all this other stuff. Truth of the matter is, though, is that Michigan and John Beeline have been able to go to the national championship game in March Madness like twice now and in the past just last yeah. few years or so. That's that's huge for that program. And again, huge for the Michigan, Big Ten. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you would hope that the Big Ten or you'd want the Big Ten to win some of those games. But the bigger issue here, I think, is that you have Michigan State, which is always going to be there with Izzo. You've got a Michigan program that's done some incredible things the past several years. Um, you've got other guys in the in the Big Ten who I think are making some moves. As Ohio State, you've got to keep up with that. And again, you know, this is a statement kind of signing. And hopefully it's it's the first of many because you got to continue that. That has to keep going to keep your program healthy. And they're definitely losing some dudes. Um, I, you know, I've watched a little bit of Gaffney's highlights and what he's been able to do. Dude needs to put on some weight. <laughs> he needs to hit the weight yeah, room a little bit. Spindly. Yeah. yeah. He's got, he's, he's got like a Kevin Durant type game. Yeah. But he's got, right. He's got a great shot. Um, he's not afraid to bang around the paint a little bit, which I think is great. He he's plays good defense. Uh, that's the kind of thing that you want. Um, and I, I think with Holtman and his staff's ability to develop some of these guys, I think they'll they'll do some really good things with the guy. But again, like I said, for the immediate future, it's it's that statement, it's that signing, and I think that's a great thing for him to crow about. And he's honestly like what we've seen from Ohio State basketball recruiting lately. I don't think he's going to be the first guy. Or the only guy, rather. He's the first guy. Oh, no, I don't no, think he's no. going to be the only guy, uh, big name that Holtman and company are going to be able to get. I mean, I think they there's a potential that they could stack him and have just an incredible uh, class headed for 2019. And, you know, Gaffney's the first of that. Um, speaking of recruiting and the lifeblood, Urban Meyer, since last we signed an extension through 2022 that'll pay him $7.6 million a year, $100,000 more than Harbaugh gets. Obviously, that's not by accident. This was done in large part because of the the way that Urban Meyer was being recruited against by certain programs, the, ins, uh, the insinuation that he was not going to be at Ohio State long term. I was stunned when I looked up today and saw that Urban Meyer is only 53 years of age. Right. I forget yeah. how young he is. I've known him for so long, and when I say know him, I mean that I've covered him for so long, not necessarily that we're having you know cocktail parties. Um, <laughs> but the fact that this guy is like, that he's only 53, 
and it was being used against him, you know, with age or longevity on the recruiting trail. And so Ohio State steps up and Gene said, look, this is why we did it. When it gets inside of three years on a contract, this starts to happen. So we got him through 2022. I have a two-parter for you. Number okay. one, do you think Urban Meyer will see the end of the contract? Do you think he will coach at Ohio State through 2022? And are you surprised that he's still here heading into his seventh season? Uh, I'm not surprised that he go back to where he, when he was hired. Yeah. I'm not surprised that he's still here going to his seventh season. I I was not one of those people who thought he would be here for like three years and then peace out. But I also could be counted as one of the skeptics who isn't quite sure that he's going to stay through 2022. I mean, in his, his new contract or the, the extension, rather, they talk about like, you know, administrative roles and things like that. I don't, I mean, we can discuss that. I'm not really sure exactly where they're going with that. I, I have a couple of theories. But That's I'm the trust deal, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm curious of what you think deal. about that. I think it's just to show that he'll be around the program. Yeah, but and, I guarantee you this: like, there there's an enormous difference between Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle from a personality standpoint. And right. I would be shocked if Urban Meyer became like an associate athletic director for fundraising at Ohio State. Like, yes. I I just don't think that, and I don't. He sure as hell doesn't want to be an AD. I don't think he wants to be a university president. He's a football coach. I mean, yeah. Tress fancied himself as more than a football coach. Urban Meyer's a football coach. Like, if he's not coaching Ohio State, my guess is he'll spend half the year in at Mirfield <laughs> and the other half of the year in Seaside or Destin or someplace in Florida warm. Like, I, I don't sense that he's the type of guy who is going to, you know, do administrative duties. I, that shocked me, frankly, that that was in there. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that's about either. I, I, I think maybe that's to perhaps ease the transition, assuming he wants to get out of the contract earlier or, or maybe step down from that role at some point. But you're right, 53, I mean, the dude is not, <laughs> he's not long in the tooth. What freaked me out, though, because I looked it up. As soon as I saw the contract, essentially, like, how old is he going to be at the end of this? And then where my mind went to next was, how old is Jim Tressel? Jim Tressel is, is 65 years old, or 65 years young, I guess, given what he's been mm-hmm. doing. Uh, but that kind of blew my mind a little bit too, because I can't imagine Jim Trestle's anything but like a 50 year old or a 55 year old guy and a sweater vest on the sidelines. And it's, it's just shocking to me how things have changed so much and what feels yeah. like a relatively small time frame. But he, I mean, he's been, you know, at Ohio State or Meyer's been at Ohio State a lot longer than a lot of people expected. And it, it feels different. It just feels different than I think what people expected. They, I don't think people expect him to be kind of like setting down roots or being in for the long haul. I put the, I was on the radio daily at the time when he got hired. And like I said, I covered him at Florida. So I kind of knew how he went about his business and how intense he was and how no, no nonsense and how, I mean, he really burns the candle at both ends. And that was part of his undoing at Florida, though there were other factors as well. But um, I remember saying this vividly to Anthony Rothman, who I was doing the show with at the time. We were doing a show and he said, what do you put the over under on the betting line on how long he will stay at Ohio State? And I said, seven years. Yeah. That's the over under. <laughs> and I said, if you're forcing me to bet, and we're making up a topic on a radio show in the middle of November. And um, and I said, I said, if you're forcing me to bet, I would bet the under. I think six years and he'll win a national title or two and he'll get out. Um, I just didn't sense that he wanted to be here in the long haul. What I didn't understand then that I understand now is how much urban Meyer has come along as a CEO mm-hmm. and his ability to hire great coaches to replace coaches who leave. And most importantly, coaches he trusts. He didn't trust his coaches at the end of his tenure 
that would uh, let the other one of the other many factors that led to his undoing. I think he trusts his coaches now. He has a better coaching staff right now at Ohio State, I could argue, than at any time in his career. And his coaching tree is is unreal when you talk yeah. about Shiano Wilson, Day, Grinch, let alone Larry Johnson. I mean, there's not a there's not a, well, I shouldn't say there's not a, there's not a, a weak link. There's a, there might yeah. be, but the, there aren't many. Um, and look at it, you go, boy, he's kind of got it figured out. And um, this is not going to be popular with Ohio State fans, but it's the truth. It's easier to win here than it is at Florida. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's easier to recruit here. It's easier to do a lot of things here. And so I think it's it's a more comfortable job for him. And I think he's embraced home to a certain degree. Um, I think he likes living at Mirfield and he's got a, you know, that's not something he didn't have it for him. He's got gated community and, and no one can bug him on his off days or no, you know, so he's got a pretty good setup here. So will he get to 2022? I mean, he's 53. As long as the winning keeps happening, it's hard to imagine him not. I mean, he's got this job kind of licked right now. And the other factor in this is his, um, his son-in-law is on his coaching staff. And right. you don't know what's going to happen with Nate, his own son. And these guys tend to like to set their sons up. I mean, every coach I know and the good ones I covered in Florida, Spurrier and Bowden, both hired sons to work on their staffs and try to set them up for life after daddy retired. So, you know, all of those things could happen with Urban. It's hard to imagine now because I still view him as such a young man, even, and he still is at 53 for as much as he's accomplished. Um, I almost still view him at like 45, but really, Things have happened around him now, and now he has grandbabies and a son who's going to college. And so things have changed a lot. But I think that there is a decent chance to get to 2022. And um, it's far longer than I ever thought he would be here when he took the job. I think the biggest thing is just you hit on it. It's the staff around him, you know, because, I mean, (laughs) the idea you compare the staffs of the last couple of years of Jim Trestle versus what we have now oh, with geez. Urban Meyer <laughs> and Ohio Come State. On. If you look at that, it's it's mind-blowingly different. It is it is cuz Jim Trestle is a witch and he just did everything and and he controlled every aspect of that team. I mean, had Jim Haycock doing a lot of good stuff and he was a great coordinator, but what blows my mind is the amount of talent that Urban Meyer has been able to assemble even after massive staff turnover. And sometimes that's blown up in his face. They haven't all been amazing hires, but I think what is keeping him able to do the type of job that he's doing is, is being that CEO is hiring those guys. And as long as he continues to be able to make those types of hires, I think he's going to be fine. I'm somewhat skeptical that that's going to last until 2022. I think there may be some hiccups that people don't anticipate I think you're going to see some people leaving, you know, maybe more frequently than people would want. I don't like, I think they're trying to groom, for example, a guy like Ryan Day is like an heir apparent. He may be lured by like a Mac team or something like that. Um, yeah. And he probably needs to do that. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, that's, that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. nothing wrong with that. But just can Urban Meyer handle that constant kind of turnover and keep making those insane hires? I, I think he can to an extent. But does he want to? Is that going to be something that is going to be able to string out till 2022? I don't know. I mean, he has the capability, but does he have the desire? And I think that's always been the question. Does he want to keep doing this job the way he's doing it? Um, it, it you know, it's difficult. It's it's really difficult. Like you can see the strain that it puts on him. You can yeah. see, you know, how seriously he takes it. And I know Ohio State fans appreciate that. And I hope he's able to do it till 2022 because obviously he's, he's great at it. Um, 
but I don't know. I, I think that's something that that will remain to be seen. I think a lot of it just has to do with the coaches around him. And to yeah. this point, he has been able to assemble incredible talent in terms of coaching. So, yeah, he's, he's crushed all of it. And I think that this I've said this before and we're going to get to this coming up next. But I, I do think that the um, I think that this quarterback change will do him wonders from a rejuvenation standpoint. Um, yeah. I think it's going to give him some energy. Um, and so I think that there's a good chance that that'll be a, a, that'll end up being a real positive, uh, for him going forward. All right. Still to come. We ask our two beat guys, Dan and James do a little deep dive on the spring game, including that quarterback competition. But before we do, we do encourage for shirts, hats, stickers, and more anything new in there this week, Johnny, uh, dragon store. We're, we're, we're trying to come up as much as we got with the, uh, the first Ohio battery is, I mean, as the blue jackets start oh, to get into the, up, yeah. Yeah, as soon as they, as as they're starting to get into the playoffs here on the on Thursday, I guess they, uh, you know, we've got yeah. some good stuff with Panarin and all that good stuff in there. So I would me- recommend checking that one out. Yeah, that that is strong. You guys did a heck of a job with branding on that. I mean, that's a yeah. that's a really well branded. You guys do good branding with everything. That, that's that's a really well branded uh, site there, and and they do some good stuff. You got my boy Mix working there, so that makes me happy as well. Uh, Drygoods.11warriors.com. At 11 Warriors, we are blessed to not have just one beat man, but two beat men, and uh, we bring them both on for our spring game extravaganza. Dan and James, the guys I do the TV show with, do just a fantastic job on that with me, and now we bring them on the pod at the same time. I want to start with something we talked about today on the television show, and I'll, I'll start with you, Dan, on this one. This idea that this is a three-headed quarterback competition, um, I think there's two ways it can go on this. It can be either a, that it actually is in which case I think Tate Martell is going to hang around in this thing a lot more and maybe be a factor in it. And I think it's good news for him if it still is a quarterback competition or it's not at all. And it's been Dwayne Haskins job all along. And this was done to keep the others engaged. Let's start with you, Dan. Do you think it is either one of those or something in the middle? I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I do think that this is a legitimate competition at this point. I I think they've given all three of these guys pretty equal reps all spring in in trying to see what they all are capable of. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion by any means in a coach's mind that Dwayne Haskins will be the starter. Now, when they say like it's truly even, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case. I still think Dwayne Haskins is probably the guy you know, if they come out of a spring and they're all, you know, fairly close to each other, I, I think a tie is going to go to Dwayne Haskins because of what he did last year and, and kind of being the guy who was that backup last year. But I, I think there is a legitimate competition there. And, and certainly, like you said, going the other way on that, it they're not going to want to make it look like anything less because they want to keep everybody engaged. But I, I think they are giving everybody a real shot. I do think, though, that if you're Joe Burrow or if you're Tate Martell, you're going to have to clearly beat out Dwayne Haskins in order to get the job. James, where do you sit on that? Yeah, you know, I, I've i always been of the mindset that, that Dwayne Haskins is going to win this job, and I, I still feel that way. I just think that Ohio State's offense will operate better and I think can be a little more multidimensional with, with Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback. I just think we've seen so much of this this quarterback run, and I, I think Ryan Day coming – this is his second year. He's an NFL guy. I think he's more of a downfield passing kind of guy. I think that's more his philosophy. And I think, like Dan said, I do think it's close, but I think if it's close to a tie, 
and I think I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I think the nod goes to Haskins because I think that Ryan Day likes Haskins more. Again, I I don't know that for sure, but I think that's the case. And you know, I just I I think that he gives this offense um, more chance to succeed at, at least at this point. Okay, I want to I want to follow up with that real quick because and and James, I'll start with you. You start by giving your opinion on this, but. I have seen quotes and I've seen a lot of stuff from you guys talking about this and and what the offense is going to look like. My assumption has been that if they go with Haskins, the offense is going to change. You kind of intimated that where it's going to be more downfield and things like that. What assurance can you give me as someone who wants to see the offense change significantly in a lot of ways that they will not just try to take what they did with JT Barrett and then just give the playbook from last year to Dwayne Haskins. What are they doing differently that you have seen to show that the offense is really going to be different, maybe? Well, and I, Kevin Wilson kind of broke it down really well, and I think I, I, I truly believe him when it comes to this. If, if a guy like Dwayne Haskins wins the job, you don't necessarily change the offense. You don't even necessarily change the plays. You just change certain reads for a guy like him. So, for example, if you call a zone read play, Instead of maybe reading, or you call an RPO, instead of maybe reading the end, you read an outside linebacker, and you, you, you turn a zone read into an RPO for a guy like Haskins, where instead of reading the end and keeping it, if the end crashes, you read the backer. If the backer sucks in on the run, you throw in behind, and you just make little tweaks and little changes um, that fit his skill set. And I kind of think that's, that's the route they would go. You don't necessarily change the grand scheme of things. You don't change the whole offense. Just just small tweaks and, and reads like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that's for sure is that this is still going to be an Urban Meyer offense. It's it's still going to be a power spread offense like it's always been, and there's still going to be a quarterback running element in this offense, whether it's Dwayne Haskins or Joe Burrow or Tate Martell. Certainly, if Tate Martell was the starting quarterback, you'd expect a heavier running game presence than what you're going to get with Dwayne Haskins. But there's still going to be the core principles that Urban Meyer always believed in, those are still going to be in the offense, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter who the coordinator is. There's certain principles that are always going to be a part of this offense. But I, I do think that if Dwayne Askins is your quarterback, you're going to adjust to that. And, you know, everything James said, what Kevin Wilson said is true, but, you know, certainly as well, I think you look at it when, you, when you've got J.K. Dobbins and, and you've got Mike Weber, I, I think there's going to be times now, too, where maybe you're going to get the ball into a running back's hands more than you would have when you were JT Barrett. Maybe there's certain plays where you're going to be instructing him to hand the ball off where JT would have been instructed to, to run the ball because of the different reads. So, you know, I, I think you look at it, if Dwayne Haskins is your starter, you'd expect a, a heavier running game. You'd expect a heavier downfield passing game as well. But there's still going to be some of the same core elements, and there's still going to be certain plays that, maybe fans never want to see again, but they're still going to see regardless of who a quarterback is. All right, guys, you guys have access that, I mean, the, the quarterback thing's the most fun and it's, and the, the running back one's fun too. I mean, let's not discount um, how much fun that will be when we get into fall, when they decide how they're going to divvy up those. There was a quote we had on the show today, the television show on Spectrum Sports talking about um, Mike Weber saying, you know, he can't wait to put a team on his back. And I'm listening to him saying, well, well, not this year. I mean, not unless there's an injury to J.K. Dobbins, but that. So, so there's a lot to this team, but and the, but those are the those are the broad strokes that we all kind of know about and all kind of have opinions on. You've been going to these available. 
possibilities. You've been around this program for a month now. Let's start with you, Dan. What's the most interesting thing that you've heard in camp um, that maybe he hasn't gotten the play that that it deserves, or or just something that's interesting to you? And then and and James, you follow up. You know, I, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that you know right away from the first day of camp, Urban Meyer said. I'm more worried about the center battle than I am about the quarterback battle. And you look at that position for Ohio State for the last two years. You've had Pat Elfline, who went on to win the Remington Trophy. You've had Billy Price, who went on to win the Remington Trophy. Now, this year, you don't have a guy that you're sliding over to that center spot. You're going with Iver, Brady Taylor, who's a fifth-year senior, who has a lot of experience, but maybe isn't quite on that same talent level that Pat Elfline or Billy Price is. Or you're hoping someone like a Josh Myers or a Matt Burrell really makes a huge leap forward and takes on that spot. So I think that's an interesting spot because I think that there's some real concern there. I think that's a position, you know, or Urban, you know, back when Corey Lindsley was the center, they, they started calling it the apex of the offensive line. And they view that as such an important part of that line. And I don't know if they have someone that they truly feel comfortable trusting in that spot this year and that's a position where it might not be as noticeable but that could create problems for this offense too if they don't have a billy price or a pat elfline that they can really trust at that spot yeah you know for for me it's the linebackers i think the most interesting linebackers yeah is is where where urban has come out and 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 said you know he has a lot of confidence in that group um because that's a group that that really struggled last year especially in the past game and now with with Tuff Borland being sidelined with an Achilles injury, you're looking to replace all three starting spots. You know, Malik Harrison has the most um, experience in that spot, and I think he'll end up earning one of the outside linebacker positions. But outside of him, you're really looking at at replacing some really good players in Jerome Baker. And then, you know, in the middle of Tuff Borland, we don't know when he'll be back. Some people say, you know, they say maybe September. I think that might be generous for an Achilles injury, but, but we'll see. Um, but for Urban Meyer to, to say how much confidence he has in that linebacker unit, considering the struggles they had last year and considering the people they have to replace, um, you know, I'm really interested to see how they perform on Saturday in the spring game because, um, as we all know, uh, the spring game is a glorified seven-on-seven. Seven. They're going to be tested a lot in the passing game. And we're, we're going to see if this, this is a group that's, that's taken the, the leap from year one to year two under Bill Davis. So that's kind of the biggest thing for me is, you know, Urban seems confident in that group. Uh, I'm not so sure yet, but I think we'll see a little bit of a glimpse into that on Saturday. So starting with you, James, and then going to Dan, um, what do you think was actually maybe decided? We we talk about spring ball and how we tend to hyperbolize some of the things here um, and, you know, and, and maybe elevate the importance of spring practice. What was decided in the spring? What What do you think the football team really figured out? You know, I think there's still a lot to be up in the air, but I think the one thing that that they know for sure is that they need to figure out a way uh, to get the ball to those two running backs. You mentioned there earlier you have J.K. Dobbins, you have Mike Weber. These are two guys who demand the football, and you need to get the ball in their hands. And I think the one thing we they say, you know, they talked about it last year that they're going to have a two back a two back set, this this two running back set where they're both in the game at the same time. I think we saw it for one play all of last season, and it came in the Cotton Bowl. I do think, you know, and it's hard to believe them because we haven't seen much of it, but I do think that's something that they need to at least experiment with early on in the year because we really don't know what this offense can be when both of those guys are on the field. And I just think that 
running the ball consistently and, and getting these running backs carries, I think it's just something that needs to be their identity this year. And I think it's something that, you know, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback, you know, e- even if even if quarterback is your favorite position and we've seen JT, you know, these offensive, um, you know, the play calling has been centered around him and him running the football. I think when you're breaking in a new quarterback, you need that run game. And I think this coaching staff realizes that. And I think those guys will get plenty of carries this year. Yeah, I, I think one of the big things that, you know, just the impression I've gotten from hearing Urban talk a few times this spring is, and it goes off what James said before with the linebackers, is they seem really confident in what they have on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they, they lost a lot of really good players on the defensive side of the ball, not just at linebacker, but, you know, up front of the defensive line, guys like Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes. You get guys like Denzel Ward and Damon Webb in the secondary. But he said all spring the defense has really performed well. A lot, a lot of guys really stepping up there. Uh, the defensive line still looks really talented. Uh, the secondary, he said there's been very few mistakes at the cornerback position. Still looking for another safety to step up next to Jordan Fuller, but has been really impressed with Jordan Fuller. So I, I think they're coming out of spring feeling really good about what they have on the defensive side of the ball. I, I think the offensive side of the ball is where they definitely still have more questions, in, including at that quarterback position, because Irvin's been saying all spring, you want somebody to separate at that spot, and it just hasn't happened yet. So we'll see if that happens on Saturday. But I think that's probably – there are going to be a lot more questions about the offense than there's going to be about the defense going into this time between spring and fall camp. You know, guys, I'll get you out of here on this one. This happens every year. You know, you finish the spring game on a on a Saturday and then Saturday night into Sunday and through Monday and even for the rest of that week and, frankly, all the way until August when we start, you know, practicing again. Something happens in the spring game that is far – way overanalyzed and made far too much of a deal about and to me it seems like a lot of times it's been the receiver position we haven't talked about receivers much but you know typically one of those guys really blows up in the spring game and they think oh my god there's the next Ted Ginn Jr. just walked through the door he's going to be the savior and he's going to be the deep threat and all these things is there a player that you think can that will flash on Saturday and let's take the part out of it where they don't live up to expectations but is there a player that you think will flash Saturday and get people talking Dan, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, I guess one of the guys he, he's he's already kind of flashed, but I could certainly see this continuing to be the case uh, come Saturday. Would be Demario McCall as a guy who you know people have kind of been talking about for a couple of years. When's he going to break out? <laughs> right. When's he going to break out? And so far, it hasn't happened. But in these glimpses of time, uh, he's played well, and he says. He's healthier than he's ever been since he's been to Ohio State. It seems like there's more confidence in, in him than there's ever been before. So maybe we see uh, on Saturday, maybe we start to see where he could finally have a role in this offense. I mean, you look at the depth chart, all the receivers they have back and the running backs they have back as well. There's not really an obvious place for him in this offense, but maybe on Saturday is when we kind of see how they're envisioning using him. And if he can put some of that playmaking ability on display, Maybe that gives him the momentum he needs that they really have to find a place for him in their offensive game plans this fall. You know, I'll go. I'll go defense. You know, like we talked about this, these kinds of games, there's a it's pass heavy, so you're going to have a lot of receivers catching passes. But with Jeffrey Okuda out and Denzel Ward gone, you're going to have some young corners with an opportunity to kind of make themselves felt, make their presence felt in this game. And I really am curious to see how how Marcus Williamson and some of these young corners like Amir Reef, how they perform in extended playing time. They're going to be tested a lot 
um, with the amount of passing that's done in these games. And Ohio State's trying to figure out who their quarterback is. So the ball is going to be in the air a lot. And these guys are going to be tested. And I really think it's an opportunity for some of these guys to really show what they can do. A lot of the receivers for Ohio State are veterans. These are top six pass catchers are back from last year, C.J. Saunders, all these guys who have been around a while. I'm curious to see how these corners play um, in this in this kind of setting because not a lot of them have seen playing time, and I, I know it's a spring game, but when you still have 50, 60, 70,000 eyeballs on you, there's pressure to perform, and a lot of these guys want to see the field that didn't last year. So I want to see how, how they, they play, knowing that, you know, these quarterbacks are going to want to put on a show because they're fighting for a spot, but but so are a lot of these young corners as well. Great stuff, guys. You guys have done just do great work covering the beat, and uh, we appreciate your insight heading into the spring game on Saturday. Good stuff, fellas. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. All right, before we get to our final segment, ask us anything. We want to remind you, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter, rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. My friend, I've missed this, the Ask Us Anything fun. <laughs> so uh, do you have any in store for me on this, uh, on my return to the pod after my little, I'm like the Europeans, I'm now calling it a holiday. Oh, uh, a vacation well, or a spring break. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm going to start to call every time I take time off, I'm going to call it I'm on holiday. I think that's, that's just a it's, more it's dignified classy. way to go about it. It's a classy yeah. way to say vacation. I really like I like it. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah. I like it. Um, all right. So we've got we've got several good questions here. Um I'll tell you okay. what, let's start off with uh let's go back to Big D here. He he gave me several questions and we're gonna <laughs> I'm gonna parse through one of them. I think this is a really good question, actually. I think this is an excellent question. And he okay. wants to make the case here uh that Penn State should maybe be that team to the east and you know we say that school up north well maybe that team to the east should be the new main kind of rival for ohio state right now because if you think of football basketball wrestling even hockey right now it seems like penn state's really the number one nemesis for ohio state um so i don't know how do you feel about that well i you know the 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 problem is is you don't have you know when you talk about ohio state football the history goes back so long yeah and penn state's really only been a rival for the last 20 years or so in football so i think that's and all rivalries are based on football in this part of the country so i think i think that's where it's tricky there's no doubt if his point is i've always said that in order for something to truly be a rival they would they have to have taken something from you that matters and michigan state has done that and penn state has done that michigan has not not much not lately not for a very long time, in fact. When you bring in the wrestling side of it, less to a lesser extent basketball, because obviously Michigan's basketball program is right now the best in the Big Ten and has been for the last three or four or five years. Um, but from the wrestling standpoint, where they're both competing at the trying to compete at the highest level, Ohio State trying to, you know, keep up with Penn State on that front, I think that's a pretty solid I think that's solid. I mean, they look, they're as big as it gets. I mean, they're yeah. they're they got they got everything Ohio State has. They have all the history, all the money, all everything. So it's an appropriate rival. They're a worthy adversary. I will be calling them that team from the east. Um, I still call Michigan Michigan. I don't call them that team up north. So I mean, that's some people do that. It's just not for me. But I I, I get his point, and I think that they are. Yeah, you know, right now they're the more real rival than Michigan. That's the truth yeah. of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of where he's going for, and and I, I I would agree with that because my biggest thing as far as rivals go is what have you done for me lately? And, and it, I'm not discounting the Michigan rivalry, obviously that hate week's incredibly important. And historically that's a big deal for me, but if Michigan beat Ohio state next year, I'd be really upset. But 
I don't think that would necessarily put Michigan into the Big Ten title game over Ohio State. Now, on the other hand, if Penn State were able to do that and you see a guy in James Franklin who was starting to take recruits from Urban Meyer, hypothetically, and then you see the wrestling team beating Ohio State, you know, for Big Ten or national championships, and you see the basketball team beating Ohio State, like that's the kind of thing that creates a rivalry. And I, I don't think that we should necessarily allow our hatred of Michigan to override all other potential rivalries. And I say this as someone who has like turned up his nose at this idea of a Penn state rivalry for so long <laughs> and given them so much yeah. crap to try to, and their attempts to manufacture it. But man, if they're winning, it's it's hard to deny that. And in the past several Penn state games have been just gangbusters and across all sports. Um, so I, you know, well, I, I'm, I'm down with it. Do this. Think about this. When is the last time the Michigan football team took something from you as a yeah. Buckeye fan? Right. Like, when's the last time they ruined your season? Like, when you had real stakes. Yeah, it's been a I mean, long it's 20 time. years ago. It's right. been 20 years. I mean, they haven't taken anything from Ohio State of, t- of anything tangible in two decades. I mean, sure, they beat Ohio State a couple of times. What, just once under Tress and once yeah. under Fick? Is that it? Yeah. That's I it. think that's it. In that's 20 it. years? And the Fick team was a wasted team. I mean, the way that everybody handled that at Ohio State, from Gene all the way down, they basically punted on that season. And I think they beat Tress only the one time in 2004? Is that yeah. right? Uh, so, two, no, it was like, 2003, I think. 2003. No. Was three? It 2003? That was 2003. It was the one where they ended up in the... In the they ended up in the Alamo Bowl, and Zwicky was the quarterback and all that. I think that's the only time they've ever beaten him. He beat well, Tress. So it's yeah. it's twice in 20 years. Like, you got to be – think about that. You really don't have any real solid sporting memories until you're like seven or eight in terms of ones that you remember when you get older. Right. Like, you'd have to be like 28 years old to remember Michigan taking something from Ohio State football. <laughs> no, think you're right. That. Like, I, we, we remember that. it because we're of a certain age. Yeah. But the young kids – that are running around hating Ohio, hating Michigan for what? There, <laughs> there's something you stop on at the end of the year. I mean, they haven't posed, they haven't taken anything from. They don't. Have, you don't have any heartache for Michigan. Yeah, my my students don't care about Michigan. They don't care. They're. I mean, these these kids no, are they're irrelevant. Sixteen years old. They they like some of them root for Michigan. You know, maybe because they're from Detroit or something like that. But a lot of these kids just yeah. they, Michigan doesn't even enter in their minds as Ohio State fans. No. I have coworkers who are like in their mid twenties who don't care about Michigan. Like they love football. I love Ohio State, all that stuff. But Michigan doesn't enter into their their worldview, and it just blows my mind because I'm kind of on the tail end of that. I'm 33 years old. And I right. mostly remember the '90s and and being upset about Michigan being Ohio State. But honestly, I was only I was only aware for about half of that. So it's it's pretty nuts how much um you know how much things have changed in terms of that rivalry. So I think Penn State's a, a viable alternative, which is not something I would have thought I would say five or six years ago. But yeah, I here agree. we are. Uh, okay, next one here. This is this is one we put off from last week. This is from Connor. He basically is asking if every college team could take their NFL players and bring them back to play one another, which team would have the best team? So, in other words, which team has the best players overall in the NFL? So, in other words, you you t- make alumni teams out of NFL teams. Is that's what that's yeah. what we're asking? Yeah, yeah, essentially. So the problem is we don't have a quarterback. Like, who's going to quarterback? <laughs> yeah, Pardell? probably. Well, yeah, you know? I mean. I'd roll with Michigan probably with Tom Brady. I mean, you'd be, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. It's all about be, quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, Aaron Rodgers. You have good line play. See, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I think if yeah, you look at the, all that doesn't lines. matter. I mean, the Browns had a great offensive line last year, but they that's have dopes true. at quarterback. 
Right. Like you, That's a good point. You've got to have, like, I'm thinking about like Cam, Auburn has put a lot of talent in and they have Cam. So that, you know, that might be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida State's got to put a ton of talent in and they, they'd have Jameis, although he's up and down. I mean, I tend to just roll with the quarterback. And like Brady played at Michigan, so that's probably your best bet. I'm trying to think if there's anybody. I'm I'm sure I'm missing somebody because we you know we spring these and I you know you don't get a whole lot you don't think of. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Is there an Alabama quarterback? I don't. I mean, there really isn't. So not really. I, no, I don't think so. No, I think I'd probably roll with Brady. I mean, no one's, that's not going to be a popular answer, but I'd probably assume that Michigan's got enough everywhere else. <laughs> I, can I roll think with Tom Brady. Or I mean, maybe I it's Florida State. It might be Florida State with Winston. I was about to say, I think either Florida State or Auburn could definitely give them a run for their money because that's, I mean, if you think it's some of the linemen, especially that that Auburn have put into the league, uh, I think they've done a really good yeah, job. Yeah, Auburn and Florida State have, have been really well rounded. I mean, I could be overestimating. The problem is the best quarterbacks in the league, you know, don't really play at power schools. Right, right. You know, like, you know, Rodgers is at Cal, you know, Michigan. Um, but you just kind of go around the league and you look at who's where, where the quarterbacks are from and they're, you know, so it's probably, it might be Florida State. I mean, they might yeah. have everything that you need. Yeah, you I think know, Florida State's a really good Winston, choice. Provided Winston kind of could carry the weight a little bit. Right. Well, yeah. But still, I mean, honestly, like. A quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Which is stunning when you think about it. That Ohio State with all, I mean. If you, this has always been a really fascinating thing to me. Like, why has Ohio State not produced a great pro quarterback, really, in its history? Yeah, never. I mean, I, I mean, I think a lot of it just never has to do with how they've played offense and what what is emphasized. But on the other hand, Ohio State also hasn't had. I mean, they've had a couple very good running backs in the NFL, but not like insanely good guys. Eddie George probably had the best NFL career that I can think of. And yeah, Zeke. Yeah, Zeke, well, and Zeke, but, you know, I, his career is so young. Like, I, I don't want to necessarily yeah. tab him for greatness, you know, two seasons into it. But but there's you know, nothing think, at quarterback. Yeah, absolutely nothing at quarterback, which is crazy. Nothing. I mean, you, you would expect yeah. that. But I think just some years of excellence, and they just haven't right. had it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this next one here, this is from Tim. He wants to know, with so many teams claiming so many victories against subpar competition late 1800s and the early 1900s, like Michigan, uh, including national titles. Yeah. Where do we, where do we draw the line on this? Where do we say, okay, you, you got to stop caring about this because no one cares anymore. Like what, what is the year? Where, where do we start to actually account? I don't, you know, John, the one that bugs me isn't necessarily the all time wins one Mm -hmm. because at least we can, those can be, you know, we know those games were played. The one that really bothers me is the national championship count. Mm -hmm. That's the one that bothers me. When these schools claim to be blank, so such and such time national champion, and we do it because we claim 1970, and that's a joke. Right. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. So, yeah. um, you know, we do it too. We're guilty. But I mean, like some of these schools that claim these national titles from the, you know, Columbus Touchdown Club, give me a break. <laughs> like, you know, like if you didn't win the AP or UPI national title for a hundred years when those were the two standard bears, then you don't win the national title, and then. From then on, it's BCS or whatever. But like this idea that there's all these, I mean, there's more national champions than there are years by a wide margin. And yeah. so that's the one that bugs me more than the wins. At least I know that the wins happened, right? Like the games were played. However, whatever would, the game was, the game was played. So yeah. that doesn't bug me as much. 
to the point to your point i would say in the ap upi era like when they started actually doing rankings and going out you know looking at teams and whatnot that's when i would start to say you can maybe crow a little bit about what you're getting but you're right not beyond what they are saying and i don't think before that time period so what like the late you know late 20s early 30s around then um yeah anything before that especially before the invention of powered flight I'm not real interested in any of your wins before then. That's that's not something that really appeals to me or I think, you know, gives you a lot of credence. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting just because you want to crow about it. You want to talk about it and say, yeah, this is great. But on the other hand, it just, it seems a little cheesy. And especially when you have a program that's maybe fading in relevance to come out and say that, yeah, the, these really mean something. It's like, no, they don't. If, you're, if your grandparents weren't born yet, when this kind of stuff went down, then it's not relevant. Okay. Right. Like that's, that's what I think uh, kind of bothers me a little bit. All right. Last one here. This is, this is from our good to Michigan. They're just trying to hang on to anything. Right. I mean, well, Michigan's right. just trying it's to it. hang on. To yes. Anything. They're hanging exactly. on by a thread. Yeah. Exactly. That's my point. It, it's just, it bothers it's been a rough me. two decades. Okay. So last one here, this is from a good friend, Alvin, Uh simple question, who plays and who wins this year's NBA finals? The Cavs play the Warriors and the Warriors win in six. I can't go in on the on the war. I, I think the Cavs get there again. I, I think there's the the conference is the East Conference kind of depleted a little bit. Obviously, the Kyrie injury sucks for clear <laughs> or for uh for uh Boston for the Celtics. Uh I think they get past Toronto, but I think Steph might be a little bit limited. And I think this is the I think the Rockets are gonna take him out. I think this is really when Houston like actually steps up and I think they're gonna make the finals. Um, and I think they'll ultimately win the finals because as great as LeBron's been, I just don't think they have the, the horses to keep up with, with Houston. So I got the Rockets. Weird I, to me. I, do it. I honestly feel like if, if it were the Rockets and the Cavs, the Cavs would have a better chance of winning. I think it's a brutal matchup, but for some reason I could see like, I could see the Cavs getting in the Houston's head a little bit more specifically yeah. LeBron getting in Houston's head a little bit just because they haven't been on that stage before. But I mean, I've seen the Cavs have no answers. We all have, have no answers for golden state. So um, more importantly, do you think the, uh, or as important, depending on what your rooting interests are, will it, do the blue jackets have a chance of getting out of the first round in their, in the Stanley cup playoffs to begin on Thursday? That's a good question. I, the caps, I mean, they're, the capitals are good. Uh, they have, they, I think top to bottom, I think they have the better team than the blue jackets do. But you, I mean, man, I have watched a lot of Blue Jackets. They've kind of tailed off a little bit over the past maybe three or four games. And maybe that's just exhaustion or maybe they're just, you know, kind of out of it. But they have so much good young talent. Pierre-Luc Dubois is unbelievably good uh, at his position at such a young age. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to be intimidated by the Caps. I think they're going to play really well. I I think they have a great shot. I I don't know that necessarily. I'm not ready to sit here and say, yes, they're going to win that series. But I think it goes to, to the max amount. I think they're going to push them really hard. Uh, they're the lower seed, but I just they look really good. And and I think Bob is going to uh, kind of redeem himself a little bit. Playoff Bob's going to maybe shake the curse a little bit. And I, I think they're going to look good. I, I, they have a very good shot. I would give them about maybe you know 50 percent chance. I think it's a coin flip at this point. It's all I, the better chances are not playing Pittsburgh, obviously. I'm yes, gonna, yeah, I'm just happy to that's avoid them. Right. Yeah. Don't have to take another beating from the pen. So that's a win. Bob's due. I mean, he's due. And they're better in the back end. They're better in defense than Washington. 
Um, I think it'll be key if they can kind of set the tone of the series early. And if they do, yeah, I mean, they got a really good shot. Plus, they're playing a team in Washington that just has no confidence in the postseason. I mean, the Caps haven't won anything. They they've never got. I don't think they've ever played in in an Eastern Conference final with Ovechkin. So they're, I mean, they're feeling it. Like they're running out of this Ovechkin window. And he's had this brilliant career, and he's never gotten to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I don't believe he's ever played in the Eastern Conference Finals. So they, you know, there's big pressure on Washington to try and advance and and move along. So um, I, I think if they could win Game One. You know, get a split in Washington, but most Washington chase the series. I think you have a great shot uh, of moving on and advancing. That that you're right. It's a fun team. They've done a they've done a great. That was a brilliant hire uh, from the McConnell family, the John Davidson, and then the Yarmo Kekalainen, and, and then the Tortorella. Really, all three of those things that happened because I didn't know if Tort the Torts hiring after Todd Richards is like I was shocked at that. I mean, I didn't know oh. how that was going to play out at all, and it's been. A great, it's been a masterstroke, but they've also done a master. I mean, the way they've handled the roster has been incredible. So, I mean, they, they're really set up for sustained success down there. So, it's exciting to see. And I, you know, I think Columbus is really going to rally behind it. We saw that every time they make the playoffs, the city really gets involved. Columbus is Columbus is dying to jump on bandwagons this time of year. So, they, I mean, it's <laughs> spring, like they want to go outside and stand in the arena district. So, I mean, that right. they'll be dying. I mean, there'll be people who are talking their lives will be down there tailgating and having a good time. And I don't blame them, I would too. Um, so, yeah, it'll it'll be fun, and I, I hope they do well, my friend. All right, uh, we thank Dan and James. They had good stuff on the uh, on the spring game. Enjoy the spring game. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. Yep, talk to you next week.